name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I prepared a sermon, but I don't feel like using it. Um, the events from tonight on, they get, um, they get darker and darker as the week goes. And I'm still in my head, so pray for me to find the words. Because it's hard to talk about the people that you love well, right? If someone asks you to say why you love the person that you love, you won't be able to say it, right? You can tell stories, you can talk about random characteristics, but you won't be able to say, this is why I love this person. And we see in this, this gospel of our Lord when he's had his feet washed by the sinner woman, which we also read a couple of times this morning, we can see the different kinds of relationships that, that happen with God. And maybe we can reflect a little bit on how we can strengthen our relationship with him. But the setting in the, in, this, in the third hour is that he's at the house of Simon the leper. And Simon couldn't have actually been a leper or they wouldn't be in the house, right? Because they had to keep away from anybody um, who had leprosy. So there's... There's a theory that this is actually Lazarus um, because there's an obscure written in Jewish tradition high priest in the beginning of the very first century named Simon Eleazar, which is the Hebrew name for Lazarus, Eleazar, who had two sisters, Mary and Martha, who was removed from the high priesthood. And to be removed from the high priesthood usually meant either you committed heresy or something like leprosy happened because you couldn't because you're unclean. So regardless, right, is that there's a strong likelihood that the Lord had done a miracle for this person, and that's what caused the, um, the relationship. And so our Lord is at his house, and in comes this woman with an alabaster jar. So Perfumes, this isn't the old the modern days where you can preserve things and put them in reusable bottles and do things. If you, if you got these perfumes, it would come in a, a jar, and it was one use only, right? When you broke it, it was done, right? Um, and it's the stuff that we're using on Great Friday and when we're embalming the saints, right? That, that thick um, myrrh, the oils, the, those fragrant things. And 300 denarii, which is what they're mad at her because they said it would have cost around that, is about a year's salary, right? It's about a year's salary. So we're, we're going to come to this woman in a second, but he's at this person's house who appears to have been affiliated with the temple, whether it was a, a Pharisee or a priest, but it's, it's a hostile environment. And the Lord is there with his disciples. And Judas, Judas, who we tend to focus on his greed when talking about his betrayal of Christ, had more than his greed going on, right? It wasn't just an issue of, of greed for Judas. Judas, who's named after Judah, the tribe of Judah, 
is the tribe from which the kings should reign. And Judah's relationship, because we're talking about relationships, with Christ was based on an expectation that the tribe of Judah would reign again. He wasn't necessarily with Christ for who Christ was, but for what he expected from Christ, right? And so in his mind, he's going to be the leader of the rebellion. As we talked about on Saturday night, imagine his disappointment when the Lord is saying things like, I'll destroy the temple, right? We would be like, why would you destroy the temple? This is, this is what you're here for, right? You should, be, you should be fixing it, right? And then he's saying things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Things that people aren't expecting him to say, that even in that time, not just today, people are like, that's kind of weird, right? And, and many people left him just because, of, just because of that conversation. But what pushes Judas over the edge here is when this woman in the epitome of shame, right, comes in and covers her head, a sign of familiarity, right, a sign of not being affiliated with the household in the, in the Mediterranean tradition. And she's all over him, right? She's touching, she's handling, she's... She's crossing all boundaries, right? And the Lord leaves her alone. This, forgive me for being inappropriate, is like an extremely inappropriately dressed woman coming up to an abuna or a bishop or a monk or someone at a, at a restaurant with a group of people and just getting up close to him and being all touchy, right? Cuddling hugging, right, where most people are like, it's let me, right, collect yourself, what are you doing, right, don't touch, don't you know who this is, right, and so imagine when, and culturally everybody understood that, she understood that, the people understood that, nobody didn't understand that, so imagine how upset Judas was when to add insult to injury, the Lord is saying, leave her alone, not just leave her alone, what she's doing is good, what she's doing is good. It's, a prepar- it's, a, it's in preparation for my burial. Right? He, he exalted her. And I, and I don't think it's an accident that, it's, that both Matthew and Mark tell us it's after this event that Judas goes straight to the temple. Right? It's, it's this that provokes him to say, no. Right? He's not the Messiah. And goes and sells out his Lord, right? He betrays, he betrays the Lord. In the same room are these Pharisees, right? These Pharisees and, and these priests who don't know how to use the Lord, right? They don't know how to use him, right? On the one hand, he does miracles and it's good for business, right? It's making people religious again. On the other hand, he opposes them, right? He speaks firmly, plainly, and clearly, and they don't know how to answer him. And then there's another political concern that they have that we talked about earlier in the week as well, that if there's a rebellion from among the Jews, Rome has threatened to annihilate the Jews, which is why in the morning we read, one of the, we read the high priest saying, 
it is is better that one man die than all of the people, right? And it was a prophecy, but it was an accidental prophecy, and he didn't mean it in a nice way, right? He didn't mean it as a recognition of who God was. He meant it as, even if he's innocent, better that they kill him than we get wiped out. If we have to throw one up, right, let them, let them take that guy, right? These are the symbols, right? The, 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 the priests are the symbols of the nation of Israel with whom God had a covenant, right? With whom God was in a marriage that just said, take it, right? We don't, we don't need it. And people weren't satisfied with just, here's my relationship with Christ, right? Judas could have, for example, been like, okay, he's not the Messiah. I'll just leave, right? It didn't have to be, let me go betray, right? It was, I'm actually going to take it further, right? I want, I want him stopped, whatever his motivation was. But this woman is someone who has a, an authentic relationship with him somehow, right? We don't, we don't know, we don't know her, her story, right? We don't know the details of her story. And so we'll come back to this, this framing story, but I don't think we realize that we're never not in a relationship with God, right? When people say things like, I don't have a relationship with God, it's simply untrue. You have one. Whether you like him, whether you don't like him, whether you know him, whether you don't know him, in the same way that because you're born of two parents, you are always your parents' kid, period. Nothing can change the fact that you are your parents' offspring. Whether you change your name, tattoo your face, do whatever you want. Reject them, stop talking to them, move out, move to Honduras, I don't care. You will always be your parents' child. All that can vary is the quality of your relationship, not the relationship, right? There's never a time where we're not, we're not our father's child. And so we need to take a look at how we're approaching this relationship. I joke sometimes, but I'm not really joking because it really was a Eureka moment. When my, when my parents got promoted to the, the, the status of human being in my mind, right? That, that for, for years, there's humans, right? There's people, and then parents are something else, right? They just give you stuff, right? They nag. Um, where you don't like your parents, you can hear anything from anybody else, but if it's from your parents, it's like, Belesh Machek. Right? But the switch to when they become a who, not a what, changes the whole relationship. Right? When, I, when now I'm not treating somebody as an object or as a random thing out there, but as a person, as a real being, as someone who's rational, as someone with intellect, somebody with whom I can interact. And if we do so, then maybe we'll start making our relationship about the other, not about ourselves, right? And that includes trust, right? One of the readings this morning said, trust God with all your heart. Do not exalt, do not boast in, 
your own wisdom. In all your ways, acquaint yourself with her with wisdom, that she may make your path straight. If you're entering into a relationship thinking you're the standard, whatever you think is right, will you be hearing and seeing the other person in the relationship? Or will you be talking at them? Right? Will you be just instructing them, telling them what's right? Right? I see, I get it, I know, I'll, I'll inform you. Right? Because if you think you're the smart one, you don't see the other person. If you think you're the right one, you don't see them. Right? And people who get so stuck in this won't even hear other people's opinions anymore. Right? Think of anybody that you know where you know the only way to get to that person is to start off by saying, you're so right, and then add something like, so that you can have the discussion, right? and how much that might irritate you. And think about whether it's you. Right? Think about whether it's you that, that does that. And in a relationship, we're going to mess up we're going to mess up in relationship because we're imperfect. And if God corrects us in our relationship, it'll always be for us. Right? When, when we read in, in Proverbs earlier, my son, do not hate the chastisements or the discipline of the Lord when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and chastises his children. But the ability to chastise, the ability to correct, comes specifically from the context of relationship. Right? The ability to correct one another is only because of relationship. Because would you feel comfortable walking up to someone you don't know while at service and say, Hey, uh, Uncle or Tante, you sing way too loud and you're, you're distracting. Right? Would anybody be willing to randomly just say that? I, I doubt it. If you do... Yeah, I mean... How to this way. Um, but maybe you could say it to a family member, right? Maybe, maybe to a close friend. The beauty here is that God is so respectful of our boundaries and our will and our freedom. And so he doesn't chastise unless we accept that relationship with him. Right? Only, only if we're willing to be in that relationship, right? then, he, then he will. It's funny because sometimes people will, will say to me with zeal, I wonder if you see me messing up, just, just tell me. Right? This is somebody who's asking right, for this chastisement or disciplining. Now, what, what kind of trust do you have to have when you ask somebody for that? But God values that even more. Right? God even, even more. How, or think of the opposite. How many of you, if, if, if something was going so wrong in your life and everything falls apart and you're like, man, I messed up. I, I didn't realize that I was doing such and such that caused my fall. And your friend says, yeah, I know. I saw it coming. Right? Would you not be like, well, why didn't you say something? Septine <laughs> 
right? Why, 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 why leave me to this if you saw it, right? If you care about me, why wouldn't you have said it? But again, on the other hand, if we're the kind of person who gets angry when chastised or rebuked, then we can grieve the spirit and we can silence the spirit just like we can silence other people, right? And people can, can go quiet. But most importantly is, is faithfulness, loyalty, right? Mixed loyalties don't work. Do not distrust the fear of the Lord and do not come to him with a double heart. Wisdom Sirach. Have you ever tried to be friends with someone that you just don't trust? Right? The, the relationship is doomed from the beginning. Right? Unless you come in with a sincere heart of, I'm going to trust you. There's this darkness around this relationship. Right? There has to be. There can't be a mixed heart. And I think we also tend in our relationships, especially with God, to complain all the time and ignore what's good. This morning when we were reading after the the Israelites had been through the wilderness yesterday, we talked about them creating an idol. But it wasn't just that. The Lord, it says that the Lord knew that if they took a root in their escape near the Philistines, it would discourage them, right? They was just like, they just got out of Egypt. If they see another source of war, they won't be able to handle it. We're going to take a long route, right? They complained and whined about that, not even realizing God's doing that for them. But then on top of it, even, even though they just got delivered with miracles that people would kill to see, right? Most of us would be dying to see such a supernatural phenomenon. What's their complaint? Did you take us out of Egypt to kill us? We're thirsty. We're hungry. Right? Instead of saying, and the Lord actually reacts and says, why do my people hate me? <laughs> I, got, I, I thought I'd just saved them. Right? But instead it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I kill me. Feed us. Right? And we don't like your menu. Right? Eventually it would be, we don't like this food. Give us meat. And the Lord gave them quails. There, there's, there's no end to this. But do we... Do we do that? Do we always look at what I feel is missing? Imagine, imagine in any of your relationships, how you would feel if the person that you're friends with, son to, wife to, husband to, cousin of, every time you speak with them, they're like, you know what would make you better? You know what you lack? You know what's messed up about you? every single time, right? If that's the relationship, right? And then it's like, hey, I made you dinner. <sighs> this is all you made, right? Oh, I made Chinese because I know you like Chinese. I'm over Chinese. Why didn't you ask me? I would have probably liked Mexican, right? Dib, 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 like everything is, is negative. But we, we, we do this with God all the time. And the minute anything's not going my way, why, Lord, why? Where are you, Lord? 
That's our first response. But if you want to build a relationship with God, you have to learn to speak with Him. Right? You have to learn to speak with Him. If people ask, well, how do I develop my relationship with God? And I, I actually struggle often to answer that because to me it's, it's, it's the same as with anybody. Right? How do you have a relationship with anybody? Right? Can you have a relationship where you don't speak? Can you have a relationship where you don't listen? Can you have a relationship where you never do stuff together? If, if you don't have these things, then how will you have a relationship? You have to speak to God, right? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I want to focus more on the concept of being with God for the relationship to form. But Amos the prophet in one of the readings we read earlier tonight says, if two walk together, will they not know one another? And I was like, that captures it. Perfectly. I think in, in the 21st century, we don't walk with each other, we walk near each other. Right? It's a different activity. It just becomes a physical activity that I'm standing and you're standing. But with somebody, there's a sharing. Right? Of saying that I will learn how to pray more by praying. Right? If I have a conversation with somebody and the conversation is dead in the water, there's still data coming in. Oh, this is something that none of us really apparently like to talk about, right? So I might talk about something else at another time. I might joke one time and find that they thought it was hilarious or they didn't. I now have data. I now know in what way I can joke, right? The more that I'm with someone, inevitably, by the being with somebody, my relationship is going to change. Even... Forgive me, even if two people are sitting playing video games in silence, if they do it every single day, inevitably they're going to find out stuff about each other. They'll find out what the person's like when they're angry, what they're like when they're losing, what they're like when they're excited, what they're like when they're hungry, right? It's going to come out just by being there. It's inevitably going to come out. And I think we have to be careful not to make our relationship with God or others about some kind of benefit, right? If, if the reason for my relationship with somebody is because I expect to get something, this relationship is already idolatry, self-idolatry. It's a relationship based on what I get. Right? And that's why we read over and over and over and over more this morning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear meaning reverence, respect, honor. Right? By saying, I recognize who you are. Right? If somebody, if you're at a, if you're at a church and, you, and somebody, you're excited and you walk up to somebody and say hi, and they kind of just give you a look and walk away, you'll be offended. That person didn't fear you. Right? That's what the, the, the part of the meaning is here. They didn't revere you. They didn't respect you. Right? And that's why in our, the books that we've been doing, Dorothea of Gaza was talking about these different kinds of fear. And the lowest levels of them are, I give you respect because I'm afraid of what you'll do to me. Or I'll give you respect because I want a prize. I want to go to heaven. I want 
prizes, whatever, whatever it is, right? And it's like, th- those are fine. It's like, they'll, they'll get you in. But the highest level is, I respect you for who you are, period. You are who you are. You're, you're my dad. I just respect you for that very reason. Not because it's expedient for me. Not because it's just going to make life easier for me. Not because you can cut me off. Right? But because you're my dad and that's enough. Because if we make it about these fake goals, well, this is why Judas left him. Judas was was able to betray because in his mind, the problem was with the Lord, not him. In his mind, the Lord fell short. But he didn't. And if he knew the Lord, he'd know that. He didn't know him. Right? The more you're with somebody in a relationship, the more that you understand them. The Lord says, my sheep hear me. They know my voice. And he's not talking about volume. Because the voice of the Lord is usually very calm and quiet. He's talking about familiarity. That I can say that that's God. That behavior, that's so God. Right? This, definitely not. In the same way that you can say about people that you love and know very well. Where you can hear a story and, and evaluate and know whom it's about. Because... How does your relationship grow? From two things, knowledge and experience. Knowing stuff helps, right? But knowing stuff doesn't do it all, but knowing stuff helps. Experience is what transforms it. Do you think Joseph was so excited to be thrown into prison for not sleeping with Potiphar's wife? I highly doubt it, right? I highly doubt it. He's like, oh, yay, one more positive experience with God. I doubt it. But his walking with God said, I'm loyal. I'm faithful. This sucks. I know you're with me. Whatever, right? Did he know? Did he have any idea he'd be number two in Egypt? I don't think so. Abraham, who we will see tomorrow. The trust that Abraham had, the faith he had, the trust he had, is not made in a vacuum. Right? That's a product of experience. Right? And it's not any experience. If you pay attention to the wording, it's mind-blowing. Because when he goes to walk up the mountain, as we'll read tomorrow... He says to the servant that he leaves behind, I and my son will go up to make an offering and we will return. Right? To Abraham, it was done before he even went up. Right? Of saying, whatever it is, I trust him. He said, this is the son of promise. However he's going to fix it, he's going to fix it. But he's going to fix it. Right? The product of his knowledge, the product of his experience. And this is why Christ then, God then exalts those people. Right? The word that's being used for Abraham is, is, is God came to prove Abraham. 
right? We tend to only view it as, as testing in the sense of an examination, in the sense of pass-fail. Examination means let me, let's reveal the, the nature of something, right? Do you think God didn't know who Abraham was? Do you think God would have been upset if Abraham said no? He would not have been. But he's saying to the world, I will show you who Abraham is. I know who Abraham is. I'll show you, right? This is the product of relationships where, where God humbly rejoices in us, right? God rejoices in us. Examine whether you're in relationship with him. I mean, we said we are, but the quality of your relationship with him. Right? This is, this is the week to be doing it. Right? Ask yourself, what are the things that you're doing in your life or not doing that would make you know him better, that will allow you to grow with him, to trust him more? If you don't have a prayer rule, before Holy Week is done, figure out how you're going to be doing that from here on in, not for Holy Week, permanently. Right? Whether you have a practice of reading the Bible. If you don't read the Bible as a family, I highly recommend that you do. Right? How do we expect people to, to start doing it if we don't, if we don't do it as a, as a unit? The lives of the saints. Right? Reading the lives of the saints is extremely helpful because stories often impact us the easiest. Right? Of being able to say, for me when I read St. Anthony, right? I, get, I, get, I get happy when I see things like him saying, Lord, I'm bored. Like, in the Right? Like, I feel comforted. Right? To find out that it's not just me. Right? Okay, well, what did you do? Right? And I'm glad that you weren't afraid to say it. And now I learned I can say to the Lord, I'm bored. Right? In the middle of my prayers. Right? Or that he says to the Lord, how come? Right? How come there are horrible people who are alive and rich and young people? who are, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm allowed to ask that. Right? We can learn from it. St. Pope Krullus. Right? Seeing... In Bahdala, the, 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 the um, I don't know that word in English, um, the calamities that he was in and how he responded, right? Of being able to say, okay, that's how you do it? Okay, that, there's a good lesson, right? Is, is, is bringing them in there. So we don't sell out, that we don't betray our Lord for, for fleeting moments. Or fleeting moments. Look at the stories in the Gospels, look at the stories in the Bible, and find out who you are. Because the people who benefited from the most from the Lord were the ones who were saying, Lord, who are you? Not the ones who were trying to get something. Right? The woman of Samaria. She didn't think anything of herself, right? And because of this encounter with Christ, the initiation of her relationship overpowered her, made her overcome her shame, right? Where she could go running back to the people she was fleeing from and say, let me tell you about this guy that I met. He's incredible, right? The story of Zacchaeus, I think, is mind-blowing when you think about how some rich guy of status 
is climbing a tree. And Zacchaeus didn't want anything from God. He didn't need money. He didn't need a hookup. He didn't need anything. Zacchaeus, it says, wanted to see the Lord for who he was. He just had that question. Who are you? Right? And the Lord looks at him and says, Oh, you're actually wanting to interact with me? I'm coming to your house. I'm going to come chill with you in your house. Right? Goes over. And the Lord doesn't say a word about what he's doing wrong. Zacchaeus does. Zacchaeus is so moved by who God is that he changes. Maybe you're not one of those. Maybe you're somebody who's living in the shame and fear of sin. Identify with the woman caught in adultery. She's caught red-handed. She's caught in the act. And it's a capital offense. It's a capital offense. And when she's dragged to the Lord, I can only imagine how petrified she was. When he says the words, let him without sin cast the first stone, I don't think she thought they were going to walk away. Imagine the fear of that moment of my life is about to end because I messed up. And as they walk away, I think she was still afraid when the Lord starts off by saying, my lady, and he gives her dignity. He gives her full dignity. Where are your accusers? Where's your Satan? And when she says they're gone, he says, I'm not Satan. I'm not your accuser. I'm your healer. I'm your dad. You're my daughter. And he restores her identity in himself. Because what we forget in all of this, in this relationship is, God doesn't need anything from anybody. We don't add to God. All these things that we get upset about, that we whine on, right? what does God get out of this? You can't add to God. This is only because God pursues us with the love of a lover. He is the one, he's the Hosanna who splits the water. He's the defender of the hopeless and the helpless. And he is the one that can take darkness and be from it light. Tomorrow as we celebrate Covenant Thursday, I ask you to consider the state of your marriage vows, your marriage vow to the Lord, because that's what the covenant is. And in this institution that he did, in the selling, the, the sale of himself, the ransom of himself on our behalf, ask, Lord, how do I be faithful to you? How do I love you as you are? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. See, I lay for the foundations of Zion a precious stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone for its foundations. And he who believes in him will not be put to shame. I will turn judgment into hope, and my mercy will be for a just standard weight. God will ever be faithful to him be glory, 
now and always, and to the age of all ages. Amen.